Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Off the Dome Sports Podcast, your favorite sports podcast where two and sometimes three sports lovers say give their hot takes. Off, Off the, the dome. dome. I am Redfish. I am Mustang. And I'm Rebo Hustle. And we will be steering this ship today. First time ever not going live, so as you're watching this, you're probably watching it on YouTube. Thank you for watching on YouTube, Off the Dome Sports Podcast, or you're listening in on Spotify, Off the Dome Sports Podcast. Thank you very much for everybody who follows us on the artist formerly known as Twitter, now known as X, Off the Underscore Dome Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, or, and should you be following B in the Know, K-N-E-A-U-X, the only way to spell it. On all platforms as well, the No Network, um, putting out a lot of new content there. Uh, Mustang and I recently put out a video talking about who should be the next LSU offensive coordinator. We're sitting at about two thousand views, yeah, which hit. is hey, that's pretty darn good yeah. for a video that you know only took us about fifteen to twenty minutes to make. So really proud of that content, and we've got a lot of content that you know mirrors that. Yeah, so think hopefully, it, uh, think. That video kind of inspired us to switch things to this format. Yeah. Um, seeing how many views just a standard video gets rather than, you know, a live video that can last, you know, as an hour long. And now you can just go and click through what you want to see. Yeah. And we'll, you know, we'll make sure to make this content a little bit higher quality. We get more time to think, more time to talk. Um, and, you know, I just think this platform overall is going to be a little bit better. So really excited to see the future of the Off Dome Sports podcast and the No Network in general. We've also put in a little bit of more effort into like some transition screens. And transition stuff like that. screens. You'll see those. You'll see those. Definitely. Um, Reese is real excited about it. Real <laughs> proud of it. Rebo and, Hustle. And I, good stuff. I think he did a great job. It's good stuff. Rebo Hustle one of them. is on. One of them is more for shock factor. <laughs> it's how everybody feels. <laughs> With that being said, we're going to go ahead, get into our first screen, and we're going to talk about the LSU Tigers. So, Rebo Hustle, why don't you start us off? Well, your our biggest news of the week hit on Wednesday. LSU hired defensive coordinator Blake Baker, stole him from Missouri, paying him four hundred thousand more dollars than he was making at Missouri. Uh, it's two point five mil over three years. Um, he really checks all the boxes. He has he's formerly a defensive coordinator. Check at a SEC school. Check. Uh, formerly an LSU coach. Check. Ties to Louisiana. Check. Because his wife was a all-SEC soccer player. What? Mm-hmm. Um, and then he took over a terrible defensive program and turned it around in two years at Missouri. Yep. And that's where we're at as the Fighting Tiger program, if we're being honest. Um, yeah, very true. Yeah. We fired four defensive staff <laughs> for a reason. True. Um, very true. so... Also, keep in mind that your most talented individual player on defense is Harold Perkins, um, outside linebacker slash inside linebacker, whatever slash you him, call. slash him, slash yeah. slot corner, yeah. slash defensive end, whatever you want him to be, and just not a constant person just standing in the middle of the field. True. Yeah. And who's the guy that got him to Baton Rouge? Who was the number one recruiter in his journey as a recruit? It was Blake Baker. Yeah. Um, also, Blake Baker was formerly the LSU linebackers coach, uh, and he has two Butkus Awards finalists under his belt in the last four years. Damone Clark from LSU had an incredible season, um, and t- 
Tyron Hopper from Missouri. That's a name. Had a really good season. Uh, stats don't show what he what he really did on the field. Um, but both played similar. Uh, similarly, prior to Baker, were not expected to do well in the seasons that they were finalists. Damone Clark went from 26 solo tackles and 63 total tackles in his junior year to 77 total, uh, solo tackles and 135 total tackles. Went from being a guy that every talking head in Baton Rouge did not want to see start on this defense to a contributor on one of the best defenses in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, rotational slash starting linebacker for the Cowboys now, Damone Clark. Um, like you said, a lot of people before he, you know, shirred up that role as a Butkus Award finalist was kind of just one of those linebackers where everybody's like, do we have somebody else? And then he went down as, you know, one of the one of those guys who comes in at linebacker and you're talking about him years later with, you know, other guys like Quan Alexander and Devin White. Um, we've had a ton of names come through, and Damone Clark's one of them. So if Blake Baker can do anything like he did for Damone to this LSU defense, really excited to see what we could do next season. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to see the reunion uh, that is Blake Baker and Harold Perkins, the man who got him here in the first place. Um, I mean, you look and see what, you know how Missouri's defense changed over the past few seasons. You see them being a, considered one of the teams that don't even belong in the SEC to holding some of the top teams like Georgia, you know, year in and year out to less than 20, 27 points, keeping it close with to a team with of that caliber. Um, has just speaks volumes, and I'm excited to see what he's able to do with, I would say, a school that has better recruiting. Undoubtedly. Also, you look at. Uh, like we fire Matt House, and a lot of our defensive players had a big reaction. Like one of them posted a video of them kicking rocks, and then Harold Perkins also said something. I forgot what it was, but whenever the LSU signing of Blake Baker happened, Missouri's defensive defensive players, a lot of them tweeted, "Thanks for everything you've done for me. You're a real father figure for me." Blah blah blah. And also their head coach was like, hey, this is my brother. I get why you left. You'll always be a brother to me. Keep in touch. Yeah. That's huge. It comes down to more than just the coach who calls plays or, you know, teaches you technique or, you know, drive and motivation. It's more about the human with Blake Baker. um, And he's a great one. You know, recruits from the past had said, you know, you're getting a good guy, you know, with Harold Perkins uh, already having that connection. Recruits coming up in the 2024-2025 classes were tweeting out and, you know, posting out on social media how excited they were to see him come into the building. Yeah. So the fact that you have past people, current people, and future people all saying how excited they are about the human and the coach makes me even more excited as an LSU Tiger fan. Yeah. I mean, it's when you when you take a look at it, it's always good to see when someone parts ways with a team to see them being, you know, uh, praised and you know thanked by not only other players but also the other p- people on the coaching staff, other people from you know just fans, um, just thanking him for what he's done and you know them doing the same in return because uh, we've seen the opposite side of things with people like Anthony Davis. Yeah. Mm. <coughs> Ouch. And so it's it's good to see the opposite effect, right? I mean, you got a guy who know you know who you know is going to come in. And immediately have this chemistry with his personnel, with his um, 
coworkers on the staff. And it, it just feels right. It just feels good to have this confidence behind a coach. Uh, so that's our spiel about the defensive coordinator, Blake Baker, coming into LSU. If you want to hear what we said about the offensive coordinator, make sure to check out that video on the No YouTube channel, the K-N-E-A-U-X. Uh, check that one out. It's got about 2,000 views already. Uh, we talked about a lot of different guys and who we think could end up uh, as the LSU Tiger offensive coordinator. So we covered both sides of the LSU go- uh, ball. Last week, you guys covered you know, the bowl game and a little bit more about the Tigers. So transitioning from the Tigers... We're going to talk about college football in general because it ended last night. Michigan versus Washington in the national championship. A lot of people thought it was going to be a really close game. Didn't know which side of the spread to take because it was set at four and a half and then five and a half. Uh, but it ended up being a blowout. Michigan takes home the national championship. Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, the best backfield in of the recent memory of college football. Um Two guys who put over 150 yards. Each one of them scored two touchdowns, I believe. The Michigan defense shut down what was viewed as one of the best offenses in college football. Michael Penix did not play his best game. And then Jim Harbaugh uh, riding off into the sunset, as it would seem, with his uh, NFL head coaching interviews coming in soon. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was watching the game. Didn't have a dog in the fight, of course. I mean, like I wasn't rooting for either side. I know a lot of people just hate Michigan for being Michigan, and a lot of people wanted to see the last Pac-12 champion, the last real Pac-12 <laughs> champion, win a, win a natty. Or, and, but my storyline going into the game was the entire – was it the Sugar Bowl they played Texas? Yep. The entire Sugar Bowl, all, the, all of ESPN can only talk about how uh, – Here we go. Yep. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> can only talk about how Michael Penix – Deserve the Heisman, and how uh, Romo Dunze was cheated out of the Bolitnikov, and they also won Offensive Line of the Year. According to this game, none of that is true. Their right tackle decided not to play the game. Oh, no, he played. He just for the other played team. for Michigan. For the defense. <laughs> Somebody paid him off, maybe. Um, maybe. So their offensive line did not look great. There was always pressure on Penix, and you saw it every time he threw, threw the ball. Um, I really felt like we never saw something like that out of Jaden. Like, there was never multiple missed throws in one game. Like, yes, he might have had a tough game here or there. But Romo Dunze could have walked into the end zone like four times. And the balls just were wide right, wide left. And by the end of the game, Penix could barely even walk. He was so hurt. Yeah. I mean, it looked like he had broken ribs. His hip was off. His shoulder was off. Like... That offensive off, yeah. line, the Joe Moore Award, uh, didn't really matter because he was getting hit all night. Dropped back, I think, like 50-something times to throw the ball. Completed maybe half of them if he was lucky. Threw two picks. Couldn't hit open receivers. It was just a bad offensive showing for what was expected to be a highlight of that game. Yeah, it didn't help that their starting running back, I believe his last name's Johnson. Dylan Johnson. Yeah, he got hurt at the end of the Texas game. Started this game, got hurt in the beginning of the game, like first six plays or something like that. Yeah. And just tried to power through it, tried to do one last hurrah for the natty, and it just didn't pay off. Yeah, I mean, everything you had mentioned uh, about uh, who deserves the award, like Penix deserving the Heisman, Adunze deserving the Bolitnikov, 
I just don't they, like liners. They had they had a pretty good case, but as the game went on, uh, I mean, I mean, we saw it all unfold in one play, really, uh, where <laughs> Penix got pressured almost immediately, um, but still had Odunze open, wide open, and he kind of overthrew him. Uh, could have been caught, and so you saw a play where, yeah, Penix overthrew him a little bit but it still hit him in the hands enough to where he could have grabbed it. So you saw what should have been, you know, according to the fans and whatnot, the Heisman winner, throw it to the Bolitnikoff winner, and both of them messed up horribly. Yeah. The fact that Jaden Daniels, who won the Heisman, had still finished with 280 more all-purpose yards and three more touchdowns in three less games than Michael Penix did, that speaks, that speaks all to the Heisman there. And Romo Dunze winning the Bolitnikoff was a bad argument because he finished third anyway. It's yeah. not like he was a s- yeah. close second place. Marvin Harrison, who, I mean, biasly, we don't think he should have won it because I mean, Malik Neighbors put up the yeah. best numbers in college football. I think Malik and Odunze both put up better numbers than and Harrison. Yet, Penix and Odunze go home with no gold, and then the Joe Moore Award goes to the Washington line, who probably had the worst performance out of anybody on Washington last night. Yep. Yeah, because their defense started off really slow, and then after the two forty-five plus yard runs from uh, Edwards, they finally stepped up. And in the second half, I think they started off the game the half with like three straight stops. Yeah, I mean, until the fourth quarter, it was anybody's game. Yeah, if they clawed their way back for sure. If Washington could have put a couple things together on offense, which I never thought I'd say because how good they <laughs> right, were all yeah. season. But if they would have put together a couple drives on offense where they could get some field goals and a touchdown or two, they would have been right back in the game, if not taking the lead. But Michigan, uh, the defense proved to be too much. And then although J.J. McCarthy, in my opinion, isn't that great of a quarterback, he did what he needed to do to make sure Michigan won the game and they take home the national title. I also kind of found my uh, my next spotlight NFL Combine guy, number Ooh. 77 from Michigan, their left guard. This guy really 77's well. from Michigan, yeah. huh? <laughs> Played really well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, looking back on things, if you were to, you know, redistribute some of these awards, I, you know, I, I do think Heisman, where it needs to be. But yep. as far as yeah, the I mean, best O-line, Michigan put on such a great performance. Clinic. Not only in this national championship, but also in the semifinals against Alabama. I mean, to have... A performance like that against a team who's notably always had a really good D-line, especially this season, mm-hmm. and to hold them to, like, they were getting bullied in the first half of that game. Second half, you know, Bama kind of caught their bearings, but still, to hold Bama to that is pretty impressive. Yeah, I agree. All in all, I loved the national championship, seeing two different teams in it. Um, even though it was SEC-less for the first time since, I believe, 2015. Yeah, the first CFP. It was very strange to not have feelings towards the game. Like, I did, I was kind of rooting for Michigan because I picked them to win, so it made me feel better that they won. But, like, I didn't necessarily, like Rebo said, I didn't necessarily have a dog in the fight because LSU's not there. You know, SEC wasn't in it. There wasn't a team that was kind of like a, oh, man, they're going on a Cinderella run. I love this. It was the two teams who were undefeated all season, the one and two seed. It's what you expected when they got seeded. Like, it just it was what it was this year. And that was kind of refreshing. Um, there was no, you know, huge storylines. It was 
the two best teams in college football taking on each other, and one came out on top. Yeah, I mean, great, great uh, college football playoffs altogether. Two, I mean, probably two amazing semifinals. Two of yeah. the best semifinal games I've ever seen. Um, yeah, I agree. As far as college football playoffs go, this was a although it wasn't a star-studded college football playoff where you know you have the Georgia team who's dominating everyone or 2019 LSU or you know you have the 2019 other. Uh, semifinal game where it was Ohio State versus Clemson where it could really go either way and you don't know what's going to happen between you know Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and all that kind of stuff um I think I think the semifinals and the championship proved that the playoff committee got it right and it it was a really refreshing and good way to end off the four-team college football playoff format last time you're ever going to see it things will be shaken up going forward yeah I mean and back to picking the right four teams I feel like these four teams really reflected like what this class has in it in a, as a whole. It's f- very much full of parity. Most teams are on a similar playing field and not necessarily four best teams because of record or whatever, but they put the four teams that are going to compete the hardest. It wasn't the four most accomplished teams. It were. was the four best performing yeah, all teams. All around yeah. best teams. Yes. Yeah. I agree. And so, like, I mean, I know we talked about this last week, but – Florida State players complaining after Bama lost that they should have been in and stuff like that. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense because Bama lost in overtime to the national champions. Yeah. I mean, o- overtime. Even if Florida State, you know, they had a bunch of guys sit because they didn't make it in the playoffs and they're like, I don't want to play anyway. They lose by 60 to Georgia. I think even if those guys play, Jared Verse, Johnny Wilson, Keon Coleman, I, 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 everybody who's at. Um, except for Jordan Travis, obviously, who was hurt. Yeah. Even if Florida State plays that game, I don't think they play them as close as, Michi- as Alabama played Michigan. I think Michigan handles them a lot easier than they did Bama. And, you know, the Texas-Washington game was a high-scoring affair that everybody loves to see out of college football. So, yeah. um, just a really good college football season. We got to see our favorite quarterback take home the Heisman. We got to see another 10-win season out of the Tigers after two years where we went Six wins and five wins. Um, so, you know, the BK era is starting off right. Recruiting is looking good, and we're going to probably do either a separate video or talk about that on the next episode. Um, we we are starting to post separate videos now, not just the podcast. We're going to do shorter videos where we talk about specific instances. Um, so make sure to check those out on the YouTube channel as well. Anything else to say about college football before we transition, boys? We might even have a great um, year. A former Tiger slash Heisman winner be on the cover of this year's return of college football, the video game. Yeah, if they ever if they ever announce, yeah, yeah, I mean, there was yeah, plenty of people are mad about that. EA was supposed to post a trailer as a commercial in the national championship, and it just didn't happen, and they didn't give an explanation why. Can't have it. Can't have it. All right, moving on. Oh, on to your football saints. The worst. Well, if you saw that picture, there's a reason we posted that, and there's a reason we used it. First thing about the Saints, let's talk about the season in general. Nine and eight, finish off the season four and one in the last five. Things were looking up. Didn't make the playoffs because of tiebreakers. But the biggest piece is that uh, that man right there, Dennis Allen, is still going to be our head coach. Thoughts on the season, boys? Um, I'll start yeah. us out. Go ahead. I think um, 
how the team finished is how most people were expecting the team to look all season. Um, definitely me included. I think the Saints' last five games were worlds better than their first five games, even though they started off with a good record. Still, I mean, you saw the offense clicking week in, week out, and it just wasn't what we were used to seeing. Defense obviously played well, um, but they did that all season. But, you know, I, I do think that when it comes down to it, I think Carr is proving himself to not be completely worthless. I think it's also showing that he's been able to build this chemistry with this team throughout this season. Um, definitely gives me a better look at our offense going into next season. I mean, if the Saints did manage to make the playoffs, into the, even if it was in the wild card, I would have a much, much better outlook on things now than four weeks ago. Completely different team, especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, we see A.T. Perry finish out the season on an extremely high Your note. Your guy. My guy, yeah, that was right. <laughs> also, Alante Taylor getting his first two picks in the last two two weeks of the season. Which is... Also your guy. I still don't believe. <laughs> he had to. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. No, I think he just had a, another hell of a season. I just could have swore I saw him intercept a few passes last season, but <laughs> apparently he just broke him up, broke up all of them that was thrown his way. Um, But yeah, I, you know, I, I do feel confident in this Saints team moving forward. Um. Even if Dennis Allen is still the head coach, I think that a change in the offensive coordinator position would still be better than not. Yeah, I mean, speaking to why why we missed the playoffs, it's a tale as old as time, too little, too late. You didn't have – the ball wasn't in your court to right. decide your destiny. And it's hard not to look back at week two against Green Bay. You had the opportunity to win that game. You should have, and ultimately that game decided your fate and not making the playoffs. Yeah. Green Bay made the playoffs. You did it. Green Bay, Houston, Detroit, Minnesota, all decided by one score. Yep. And we couldn't win any of them. Yeah, and so, uh, but to speak to this game this weekend, Derek Carr pretty much had a career game as a Saint. 22 for 28. 264 yards and four touchdowns. All in all, the offense finished really well. We finished four and two in the last six, uh, averaging 30.1 points per game, which from the beginning of the season is amazing, being they were struggling to put up 24 in five of their first six games. You mind if I drop some stats real quick just to talk about Derek Carr's uh, yeah, let's go. improvement? So I was one of the people who were very strong about not liking Derek Carr's performance and not spending a lot of money on him. But I do want to acknowledge something. So from that Panthers game, when we saw Eric McCoy, who's arguably the leader of our offense as the center, yell at Derek Carr in the middle of a game, from the, that point on, Derek Carr improved from a 65% completion percentage to a 76% completion percentage. He went from averaging 219 yards per game to 254 yards per game. Prior to that argument, 11 touchdowns, 7 picks. After it, 14 touchdowns and 1 pick. Wow. So, although we did play worse teams probably, worse defenses, you know, we played the Panthers and we played the Giants and, you know, we played the Falcons and the Bucks. The Bucks. Like, the Bucks yes, you have to acknowledge the defenses. 
However, you also have to acknowledge that it seems as if chemistry was off. He he was holding himself to a different standard than everybody else. And I, I don't know for sure what went through his mind. I don't know what happened in the locker room. None of us really know. But it seems as if he humbled himself. That put him into perspective. He's like, you know what, man? Maybe I need to take a step back, and maybe I just need to do what I need to do to make sure we win games. And after that point is when we explode for more points. He starts playing really good ball. Chris Olave gets back involved into the offense. Alvin Kamara looks like the Pro Bowl running back that we know him to be. The offensive line, although we had a couple injuries here and there, was holding up better. It seems as if everything started to click once they hit the boiling point. And uh, I just wanted to, you know, as somebody who has spoken bad about Derek Carr, wanted to come back and be like, hey, he finished out the season like that $35 million quarterback that we paid him to be. Yeah, I never I never was on the it's Derek Carr's fault train. Yeah. We've we've talked week in, week out <laughs> about Pete Carmichael. Pete Carmichael. Um, and so that that just felt weird that everybody was pointing the finger at Carr where I don't even think he was the offensive blunder signing of the offseason. We had to to cheat our way into getting Jamal Williams his first touchdown. This is true. You After know, we had to league. run a fake kneel <laughs> to get Jamal Williams the 2022 touchdown leader a touchdown. One well, you know, for the people who are mad at that, first of all, get over it. It's the NFL. It's, I agree. It's, it's Atlanta hate week. Yeah. If you don't want p- teams to score, stop them. And that's it. Is what it is. Get the man to speak touchdown. on Jamal Williams. Um, you know, he was injured in the beginning of the year. He was underutilized, I think, for a lot of it. He wasn't used the same way he was used in Detroit. So, is the are the numbers skewed a little bit? Probably, but you are right. He did not perform to expectation. Yeah, he really, like, I rarely saw the downhill power runner that we saw in Detroit. And I don't know if it was play calling or he just wasn't the same guy, offensive line, play what. But it, it if there is a blunder in offseason signing, I think th- my finger gets pointed at Jamal Williams. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm sure I speak for a lot of people when I say that the Jamal Williams signing, we expected him to come in and be like that Mark Ingram, that third down back. He's going to get yeah. you that first down in short yardage. He's going to get you in the end zone when you're on the goal line. And we just didn't really see it. Um, we we did see a few chances that he had, but he just didn't like – it didn't turn out like we were expecting. Uh, I do also think he was underutilized. But, I mean, when you have a playmaker like Kamara back there, you're going to trust him on those third downs, obviously. Um I just, but yeah, I, I don't think that he was what he was, what we were expecting him to be coming into the season. Yeah, I just can't help to think about how many drives got stalled out with inside the fifteen, and we kick a field goal. Like yeah. that's where Jamal Williams, for his entire NFL career, has made his money. Yep, is inside the fifteen, downhill, get you three to five yards, and eventually get to the end zone and right. we never saw that i don't yeah. know if that like again we had some horrific play calling inside the 15 for sure but it's just it just doesn't add up to why you would go out and be like i need that guy he led the nfl in touchdowns he didn't he didn't lead the nfl in rushing yards last year he just he was the touchdown mm-hmm. back right and so it was weird to to see that that didn't translate at all 
I agree. Would you like to argue? I already know what's coming. <laughs> and yes, I would. So, something's got to change. We can all agree. We're not We're not arguing there. No. Something's got to change with the New Orleans Saints. Word around town, DA's position is locked up. Yeah, he's, he's back he's for another year. Back least. for another year. Is that what we're arguing? No. No. Okay, good. We're getting there. <laughs> I'm setting okay, it up. Good. <laughs> so, you've got to move on offensively. There's no way you can bring back Pete Carmichael even after the end of the season, right? We can agree. I mean, from a, like, if you look at the win loss, if you look at how we finish the season, normally under normal circumstances for a normal team, you would think, okay, you know, the team just needed a little extra time to build that chemistry. But this is this is not the case. We saw the most uninspired play calling all season. The most uninspired players all season. Something has to change. I agree. So I don't know if it will. Let's set that straight. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if it will either. No promises that it will because, you know. This is the Saints. This we're is the Saints about. we're talking about. But I can agree that something should change. So if nothing changes, right? After next season, if we come out not without a playoff berth, mm-hmm. there's not a doubt in my mind that I am calling for Mickey Loomis's job. Currently, you. Missed the playoffs. Next season, you're looking at being $75.9 million above the salary cap. This is where the argument starts. This is where the argument starts. Mickey Loomis, man. $40 million more than any other franchise in the NFL. Yes, he's the master of getting people under the budget. <laughs> yeah, he is. But good Lord, does he have a job to do. Because if you cut Derek Carr's $50 million, that he's making next season in this fantasy world that it's not guaranteed, you're still $25 million over the salary cap. And that's just... I don't see Loomis math happening this this season. We're well, going to have to cut ties with some people. I don't see Michael Thomas having a job on the Saints after this season. He is a free agent, and it's not counted towards the okay. 75.9. We, we were 100 mil over the last offseason, <laughs> and we figured it out. <laughs> so... <laughs> My argument, my argument stands. Okay, this is argument. this is less. Yeah, this is less than it has been in the past. However, I this do you know at some point the rubber has to meet the road, where you have to think. I haven't heard that one before. We can't keep kicking the can. Yeah, right. Like you can't just. How keep many metaphors can you use in one? If we're being honest, debacle. This is like two. Said can that is being kicked mm-hmm. is Mickey Loomis's job security. There is only one person in the NFL that can make a hundred million dollars disappear. It's honestly, it's not even Mickey Loomis. It's Kai Harley. Kai Harley is the brains behind the operation when it comes to salary cap. And with the open GM jobs and assistant GM Isn't jobs, he getting interviews. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. He's getting interviews, and I don't know how long he stays because we had a guy here, assistant GM. Terry Fontenot becomes the GM of the Atlanta Falcons, who are also in the NFC South. Their head coach gets fired, but he stays. So that means that Arthur Blank, the owner of the Falcons, sees something in him that he wants to keep around. Yeah. We have had multiple other front office personnel or assistant coaches on the offensive and defensive side who have gone out and become more successful after they left the Saints organization. So that does lead to your point is... 
maybe something at the top isn't working. And you don't get much more higher than Mickey Loomis at the GM position. I don't know if we should necessarily, like, fire him because he is also a guy who is in charge of the Saints teams that went 13-3 and and 12-4 and who got us into the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, he's got a great track record. The, you know, won a Super Bowl. Won a Super Bowl. Got us to another uh, NFC championship that ended in the NOLA no-call. Yeah. Played the Vikings twice in the playoffs where, you know, Minneapolis, Minneapolis miracle, miracle, Kyle Rudolph push-off. Uh, we've played, you know, Highway we had the 49ers occurred. in that divisional round back in 2011. Like, we have a long history of just losing in the playoffs, so it's not like he hasn't gotten us anywhere. However, like I was saying with the money, there's only so far you can keep pushing the envelope, and what was that? Nothing. Nothing. Okay. Um, <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I think at this point, you're almost too far gone. So... I don't know. I really do want to argue you. I'm arguing you about the salary cap point. Like it's gonna, we're gonna figure that out, and we're we're gonna have to cut like one person. Like Jamal Williams might be the only guy we cut, but Cam Jordan will restructure. Marshall Lattimore will restructure. If Ramcheck retires, no medically, then that money goes. Andres Pete actually low key really good left tackle, great left tackle. Um, <laughs> restructure his deal. Restructure Camara. Restructure Derek Carr. Like. We're going to restructure everybody's contract, only pay them <laughs> 1.7 to $1.9 million next year, and then they'll get $29 million signing bonus. And then we'll have enough salary cap to just go 9-8 and eight again because Dennis Allen's still our head coach. Here we go. 10-7. and seven. So all of this argument that he thought we were going to do, we don't even argue. We were literally shouting at, our, at each other while I was typing this. <laughs> because he was arguing about the salary cap. And I still disagree with you about that. Well... Want to some bigger and better news? Your New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, we have a screen for this too. Check this out. Can't believe you made a graphic without the best player on the Pelicans. Yeah, uh, yeah. I kind of just found. <laughs> <laughs> kind of yeah, just found some JPEGs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I just found some JPEGs. It is what it is. You're you're the basketball man, so lead us in our discussion, Rebo. All right. Played three games this week since the last pod. Me and Byron watched a blowout. A blowout against the Nets, yes. At Brooklyn Nets. At Brooklyn you Nets. You suck. You suck. <laughs> um, so the next night on a back-to-back flew up to Minnesota to play the number one seed, Timberwolves. Came out with a really good win. Yeah. Very impressive win. And then I think two or three nights later, you play the Clippers. He really struggled to contain Paul George. It was a fluke. It was was a fluke. It was a fluke. It was a fluke. I'd like to think so. It was a learning experience because the Clippers decided that B.I. is a magician. We got to double him. And so they were doubling him at the top of the before he'd even cross half court, basically. And uh, we really struggled with that. Ultimately lose the game by 15 or something like that. Um, And then two nights later, you had the most dominant victory of the season. What a bounce back. Yeah. (laughs) You went to Sacramento 
who no pushover. No. You no. held De'Aaron Fox to one for ten from the field with zero free throw attempts. Which is crazy for De'Aaron Fox. Um, You fought through the double team. B.I. might be the best passer in the NBA right now. We literally saw... Those are words. Those are words. One of the craziest sequences that I've seen in my life. A behind the... Like, a backwards bounce pass into the lane to Dyson, who caught it with one hand, backwards bounce pass again to JV in the dunker spot. JV tore down the rim. I love the passion. That was a lot. I love the passion. (laughs) And so, I mean, if we can continue this... Zero hesitation, crazy lockdown defense, figuring it out on offense, moving the ball. If we can figure that, if we can continue that tomorrow night against Golden State for the rest of the season, the West is in trouble. Heard it here, fo- heard. so I can't speak. No, you can't. That was also um, without Zion. 50, yeah. 50 plus points against the Sacramento Kings before the bench is cleared without Zion. Hello. Uh, so. Some stats I wanted to bring up. I uh, saw this one on the artist formerly known as Twitter. Uh, Pelicans over their last 14 games. So this is post-in-season uh, tournament after that big loss to the Lakers. They've the been last 14 games. 10-4. and four, Second best offensive rating in the NBA. Second best defensive rating in the NBA. The best rebound percentage. And average margin of victory in those two, 10 wins is 19.2 points. So not only are we winning games, but we are blowing teams out. To speak to the rebounding in the underrated second, part of the game. Yeah. In the second Very. quarter of the Kings game, Jonas Valanciunas had fourteen rebounds. Just to him. Oh. And oh. the Sacramento Kings had fifteen. In we, the second quarter? In the second quarter. <laughs> or or the third. I don't remember which one. But, but one quarter. But it was still... Did Jonas no, have like, like 30 not, not rebounds? Not just in one quarter. Like oh. To, oh, 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 for okay, the game. Okay, okay. Oh, okay. Jonas had one less rebound than the entire team's, team. Okay. King's team. Got it. So we were out we out rebounding them like 34 to 15 at that point. That's insane. Yeah, I mean... What was that up? We saw this before Zion got hurt last year where we were flying to the top in offensive rating and we were flying to the top in defensive rating. I mean, it's it's hard to say that this team healthy doesn't do what they do every night. Yeah, and the fact that we can do this without Zion, we're doing some of it without Trey Murphy. Jordan Hawkins was in the G League for a game. Kira Lewis is in the G League right now. Those are four names that are going to contribute to this team at some point this season. Maybe Kira Three. Lewis stays in the G League. Maybe he comes back up if we have another injury. But Jordan Hawkins is back. He scored 12 points the other night. Trey Murphy, once he's you know completely healthy, gets off of his you know resting period here. We know what he does. I mean, both of those guys looked amazing in the Kings game. They were getting run off the three-point line. Jordan Hawkins would pass it, get it back, take a mid-range jump shot, or drive straight to the lane, dunk it. And, of course, we, learn, we know that Trey can either splash a 40-foot three-pointer or – dunk the mess out of the ball. Yeah. Um, and then kind of the, the biggest part of this team right now is CJ. CJ has been playing really, really well recently. Does he have his off games? Yes, everybody does. But in the Kings game, he went 7 for 10 from 3. Yeah, I mean, CJ likes to fire. Like, he's the guy that gets us started. He goes 
on crazy runs in every first quarter, and if he doesn't, we're in trouble. If CJ's having a good game, 95% of the time, Pelicans are going to win. Yeah. I mean, and it has to do with his impact on in the first quarter. I mean, that's I feel like that's where he gets all of his points. I mean, I don't even remember him scoring in the second half against I, the Kings. I th- yeah. I think when the Pelicans... I mean, the Pelicans' enemy is always the third quarter. Always has been, always will yep. be. But when we start out hot, we stay hot. And that's that. That's how it feels. You know, I don't know if this team... Is this team built to play three-point games in the fourth quarter? I'm unsure. But I do know that this team is built to blow you out by 20 in the first half and not give up the lead. And that's what that's what we've been doing recently. That's been the turnaround since the playing that's, tournament. Yeah. That has been what we've been doing recently. That's why we're second in offense, second in defense in those last 14 games. Not only are we scoring points, but we're stopping people. And if you can score points and stop the other team from scoring, hey, guess what? That's how you win. <laughs> so, by my math, Pelicans are the best team in the NBA. Yeah, fair assessment. Yeah. I, I, I think, and they're starting to get nationwide recognition too. I'm starting to see a lot more on social media about, hey, have y'all been paying attention to the Pelicans recently? I think it's time to have a start, you know, have a conversation, guys. I think we have to look at what the Pelicans are doing. Start a program. Zion's not even playing, and they're beating teams by forty. Like this is this is a team that's finally doing what they were supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, and it feels good. Um. Another another contributor to the No Network, Pels Press. Great follow if you don't follow him on social media. Does great videos as well on YouTube. So make sure to follow Pels Press. Um, he tweeted out a stat earlier that said if the Pelicans can win only fifty percent of their next game, their next seventeen games, which will be the All Star break, it'll be the best record they've had since becoming the Pelicans at the All Star break. Here we go. Um, their best record, I think. Before this was the 17-18 season where we made the sixth seed. Um, and we had 30 wins going into the All-Star break then. Uh, we have 22 right now and we have 17 games left. So if we can if we can win nine of those games, we've got the best record we've got uh, since 17, I believe it was. Um, really excited about this Pelicans team, especially if we can stay healthy. Brandon Ingram, dog. Trey Murphy, dog. CJ McCollum, dog. Herb Jones, dog. Catfish. Hunter. Throwback. A lot if you're listening. Had to do it. <laughs> Had to do it for the clown car. Um, and then last thing about the Pelicans, they released the top 100 NBA player midseason type thing, uh, and four of the five Pelican starters were in that. The only one missing out was Jonas Valanciunas. Uh, Herb was at 92, CJ was at 72, and then B.I. and Zion were both top 35. Which is kind of crazy to me because I feel like Jonas is having his He's season a great yet, season, especially as a Pelican. I think this has been the most consistent Jonas we've seen. He's getting the boards. He's not afraid to shoot the ball anymore. You he, see him taking the shots, whether it be beyond the arc or even a mid-range. He's he's taking the shots, and that's what I love to see out of a center, um, especially because you know just a few seasons ago he was not shooting the ball unless he was in the paint. And I think he's worked on this part of his game and has definitely improved this part of his game. Yeah, I feel like lists like that, like really stat track, like they're not watching the game. And Jonas said it best in a game against the Hornets where he led the team in scoring. In the post-game press conference, he basically said, hey, I'm here to do my job. If my job tonight is to score, I'm here. 
if my job tonight is to set a, a massive screen, I'm here. Whatever whatever needs to be done to win the game, that's why I'm getting paid. Yeah. Which he, he was basically saying, I do this every night. Y'all just don't pay attention. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and so you got to love a big man that puts his hard hat on and goes to work. And boy, oh boy, does Jonas do that. Got to love the Pelicans. Gotta and I'm really excited about the future of them. Part two. Do got to love New Orleans part two. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, uh, hopefully Lionel catches that one. Um, but that I think that's going to wrap up this episode of OTD, boys. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I think it was fun doing this new format where we just kind of sit back and get to talk. You know, although we we want everybody to comment on this video if you see it, like it, share it, comment, subscribe to the channel. Um, you know, without paying attention to the live comments, just being able to feed off of each other, uh, having the the different screens in between so people can go ahead and click on what you want to listen to. Pels, LSU, Saints. Even had a little bit of college football national championship in there. Um, we may stick with this. We may go back to the live. I guess we'll have to see. Either way, we're still going to have hot takes off the dome. <laughs> Make sure to follow us on the artist formerly known as Twitter, X, off the underscore dome pod. Make sure to go to our YouTube, Off the Dome Sports Podcast, where we'll shortly be posting an NFL playoffs video uh, where you can get our predictions for the NFL playoffs before they start. Um, we'll give full bracket predictions going all the way from Super Wild Card Weekend through the Super Bowl. We also have that offensive coordinator video on the No YouTube channel, so make sure to check that out. K-N-E-A-U-X, the only way to spell it, on YouTube, at Be In The Know, on Twitter and Facebook. Once again, thank you so much for paying attention to us. Thank you for watching this on YouTube. Thank you for listening on Spotify. I am Redfish. I am Mustang. And I'm Rebo Hustle. And I got a pee. And he's got a pee. <laughs> <laughs>